John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Our scripture reading for today is from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was on me, and the Lord brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will, be, I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked in the tendons, and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breathe from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone, and we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open up your graves and bring you up out of them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good to be with you all here today. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. Uh, it's my last Sunday preaching with you all for a while, so thanks for bearing with me uh, while Rick's been out on sabbatical. And uh, like I said last week, I'm preaching on two of my favorite texts. Last week was on the healing of the paralytic in Luke's gospel, and today we're looking at one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, the, the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel. It's probably one of the few passages in Ezekiel that people often preach on, because Ezekiel is kind of a, a bummer of a book. I don't know if you've ever read Ezekiel, but there's a lot of, uh, a lot of proclamations of judgment against Israel. The prophet Ezekiel and the situation going on during his time was he was sort of the prophet in between uh, the Babylonian exile. So he was right at the end of Judah's history uh, into the Babylonian exile. And he was basically calling the people sort of a last chance to repent and turn back from God from their sin and idolatry, and the Lord will relent, and, you know, as we know the story of God and the story of the people of God, they do not repent, they do not turn away from their idolatry, and so what the Lord does is he takes them and he exiles them off to Babylon, and Ezekiel is the prophet who comes and uh, 
kind of graphically explains what it's like to be God in this season. There's this one powerful passage in Ezekiel who describes being betrayed and how it just wounds the heart of God. And so you have all these proclamations of judgment and these proclamations of uh, the people going off into exile in Babylon. And then right at the end of the book, you get sort of these two powerful words of hope. You get this word of hope here in the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37, and then later the restoration of the temple in the River of Life in Ezekiel 47. But here in today's passage, this is a word that comes to the people of God in the middle of their exile. So during uh, the history of Israel, the people have already gone to Babylon. The temple of God is already burned to the ground. The walls of Jerusalem lie in rubble, and the people have been hauled off to Babylon, and the articles that were in the temple of God are now in the storerooms of Babylon and in pagan deity temples off in Babylon. They're in, I would argue, one of the lowest points in the history of Israel. And then the Lord comes and gives this word to the prophet about this valley of dry bones. And this is a very powerful vision that the Lord gives to the prophet Ezekiel, very vivid, supernatural kind of picture. That's what the prophet Ezekiel is kind of known for, these weird uh, supernatural type visions. And this is one of them. He's placed in a valley of dry bones, which is a very vivid picture, isn't it? I mean, can you just imagine a valley and there's just human bones everywhere and you're kind of walking through it? The, the picture that I get when I read this passage is, you know, from The Lion King, uh, the elephant graveyard, right? Where they go into the elephant graveyard and they're kind of walking around in all these bones. That's kind of the picture that I get as I read this passage. And the Lord doesn't have Ezekiel just kind of placed in the middle of the valley of dry bones, but it says that he's walking back and forth among the valley of dry bones, and can you just kind of put yourself in Ezekiel's place, that he's sort of dwelling in this place of devastation. He's walking back and forth, spending time with these bones, these human remains. And not only is the valley full of bones, it goes on to say that the bones themselves are very dry, right? There's not, these aren't decaying bodies, these are very dry bones. These are the last little bits, the last little remnants that these people are dead, dead. They're not mostly dead like Princess Diaries mostly dead. These are dead, dead, dry bones. There's no way that these bones can come back to life. There's nothing to work with. They're brittle sun-caked, dried bones. Not only are these bones very dry, but they're, they're laid out in the middle of about the valley. They didn't even get a proper burial. So these, these bones are, in those days, seen as cursed, seen as full of shame, that they don't even get the dignity of a proper burial. And it's in this space of shame and hopelessness that the Lord makes it clear to the prophet Ezekiel, this is not just an image of dry bones, but this is how my people think of themselves. These are the people of Israel, the Lord says in verse 11. Look at what he says. Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, and we are cut off. Right? And you can imagine just being the people of Israel, and that's probably exactly how they describe themselves. Off in Babylon, 
unable to worship the Lord in the temple, feeling like God has cut them off. And it's in that space, in that moment of deep hopelessness, in the moment where they feel their bones are dried up, that that is where the Lord comes and gives a word of hope to a people in the midst of hopelessness. As we see throughout the pages of Scripture, that's because that's who God is. That's what He does. That's when the messages of hope come, is not to people who are doing great with everything in their lives, but the Lord comes and meets people when they've hit rock bottom. They come, the Lord comes and meets people when they're in their moment of destitution, in their moment of greatest heartache and heartbreak. That is the heartbeat that we see in Scripture over and over again, that our God is a God who gives hope to people who have no hope. And then after walking through the valley, the Lord asked Ezekiel what I would argue is a ridiculous question. He says this in verse 3, He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I mean, what a just a ridiculous question for God to ask. I would borderline say it's a dumb question for God to ask, right? Like, you can see these bones, Lord. Uh, I don't know if you know how bones work but bones just don't come back to life, God. That's not how any of this works. Didn't you take a biology class? And I don't know if you noticed, Lord, but these bones are not even like bodies. There's, they're bones. There's not a speck of flesh on these bones. It's a ridiculous question that the Lord poses to the prophet Ezekiel. And I think God does that a lot with our own lives. He'll pose us these kind of ridiculous, seemingly impossible questions to us. Do we believe that we can have hope again in the middle of hopelessness? The Lord loves to challenge us with impossible things. Do you believe that I am a God of the impossible? Do you believe that I am the God of resurrection? Do you believe that I am the God who can redeem any broken situation? And he does this immediately after showing Ezekiel just how impossible this task is that is set before him. So the Lord asks Ezekiel, poses him this question, challenges him, pushes him deeper in his faith, and invites him deeper to the Lord. And I love what the prophet's response is. He says, Sovereign Lord, only you can know. Right? Just throw it right back in God's face. Lord, you're the only one who knows if this can happen. I love that response because it's so human. He doesn't immediately say, like, yes, Lord, exactly, this will happen because I have full faith and trust that you can do this. No, it's a very human response. Lord, only you know if this can happen, right? It's like, Lord, I have a, I have a little bit of faith in you. God, I, I trust you a little bit, but I don't have full faith and trust because I feel like that's exactly how it is with our own spiritual lives. I know it's how it's often with me. That, Lord, I know that you're calling me to do this, but I don't think you realize how impossible of a task this calling is. Lord, I know that you've put this dream on my heart, but I really don't think that it's possible. I trust you a little bit, but you really got to know that the odds are stacked against you, God. What you're asking of me is a lot, right? That's how we often live our faith. It's how we often do things. It reminds me of the parable that Jesus tells where he says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, jump, and it will jump. And the point of that parable isn't the amount of faith that you have, but what are you putting your hope and faith in? So Ezekiel says to the Lord, 
I trust you. Lord, only you can know. I trust you a little bit. And the Lord says, well, I can work with that. And then look at what God does with the bones. That with the, uh, the prophet's faith, he takes the bones and he says this. He says to prophesy to the bones that I am going to send my breath over the bones. I am going to send the, the ruach of God over the bones, the spirit of God, the, the same word in Hebrew that's the, the spirit of God that hovers over creation, hovers over the waters, the divine breath that God sends to us. He is going to do this over the dry bones, and he is going to bring them back to life. He is going to recover these bones with flesh once more, have the bones come together and become bodies once more, and then once they are bodies, he will breathe his divine breath into these bodies so that they will come to life once more. This miraculous divine reversal of what God does for his people here. And as we look at this story in Scripture... We need to remind ourselves that this is not just a one-off story for them, but this is what God does all the time. All the time. It feels like ever since I've gotten here, I feel like I've been preaching the same sermon over and over again. I think it's just because the Lord just keeps putting this theme in my heart over and over again that our God is a God who takes dead things and brings them back to life. Our God is a God of resurrection. Our God is a God who completely changes people's lives, who brings uh, life where there was once death, who just does new things in our midst over and over again. And he's just showing us again throughout the pages of Scripture that this is his M.O. This is how he operates. This is how he does things. He is a God who brings hope to his people once more. And he does it to the lives of everyday, ordinary people like you and me. This message of hope from the prophet Ezekiel was to nameless faces that we don't know who they are. We just know it was the remnant of the people of God. This message of hope was for them. God desires to restore hope and joy to his people once more, just like he does here in Ezekiel. Growing up, I, uh, I loved high school football. I was a good Texan growing up, right? You have to love high school football to be a good Texan, right? And I was in the band growing up, and so I would go to every single Friday night football game. It was just so fun. I loved doing it. And part of the reason why it was so fun, I think, is because we were a really good football team growing up, right? It's fun to root for good high school football. Three out of the four years I was in high school, we went to uh, the playoffs and got deep into the playoffs each year. We were really good three out of the four years. But my junior year, we had a quarterback change, and we were awful. We were terrible. Have you ever rooted for a bad high school football team. It's not very fun, is it? Uh, you, you go, and I remember that year, that junior year, we were just getting like destroyed by teams like 66-0. Like they weren't even close games. They were just getting the snot beat out of us. And I remember because we were in the band, we would have to go to the pep rallies every Friday to help participate. Have you ever gone to a pep rally for a, a football team that's not very good? the worst because they're trying to hype you up and you know the football players come out and they're like we're gonna beat them today and it's like nah your track record doesn't really show 
that that's what's going to happen. And you go to this pep rally, and it just kind of feels so fake, right? Like, you're telling me you're going to win, but I know deep down in my heart that what's going to happen is you're going to lose, and I'm going to be disappointed, so I'm not going to get my hopes up. And I think that's sometimes how we treat messages like this when we come across them in Scripture. We hear sermons like this in church that we believe that this is kind of like a cheerleader giving a rah-rah speech to a losing, terrible football team. But the words of God and the messages of Scripture are not rah-rah, feel-better, pat-yourself-on-the-back messages. They are instead the story of God and how God desires to radically turn around hopelessness to hope. How he desires to turn out dried bones into living bodies once more. This is not simply feel-good thinking. This is not think positively. This is about where are we fundamentally rooting our faith and our hope. Are we rooting it in ourselves and in our past? Or are we rooting it in the very throne room of heaven itself? And in the character and nature of the God that we read about in the pages of Scripture and say, we believe that He can do mighty things once again in our midst because I've read about them, I trust in this God, and I am excited to see what the Lord will do in our midst once again. This is what the Lord does. He does it all the time. It's awesome to read stories of transformation, to hear your own stories of transformation and to experience it in your own personal life. Do we have this hearty trust, this faith that God desires to turn our dried bones into bodies once more filled with life as he promises here in Ezekiel 37? That he is going to do a mighty thing among us, not because of who we are, of how great we are, but because of God's character and nature is the reason he wants to do this. We who feel like the people of Israel who say our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, and we are cut off. To those of you who feel that way, the message of the Lord to his people in Ezekiel, I believe it's the same one to us where the Lord says, I will open up your graves. What a powerful image, right? Can you imagine just a funeral casket there and then Jesus himself charging down center aisle, ripping over the top of the casket and then raising someone to life? That is the image that the Lord presents us here in Ezekiel 37. I will open up your graves and you will live once more, because my spirit will be put in you. This is the word of hope to God's people long ago, and it is the same word of hope to us in your brokenness, in your grave. And when you cry out like the people of Israel, my hope is gone, my bones are dried up, that is the very soil for God to do his best work. It's in that space that we almost hear this divine no. No, that is not going to be your future. I will not let this hopelessness, this grave be your future. I will not allow it because that is what is happening here in Ezekiel 37, right? This is one of the worst periods in Israel's history. I would argue the darkest moment in Israel's history outside of slavery in Egypt. 
And it's in their darkest moment that we get this vivid word of hope about what God will do among his people once more. Whenever I write uh, my sermons, in the top right-hand corner in the header, I write like a short little reminder to myself about, uh, you know, kind of why I'm preaching. When I was at Kingwood, I would write, uh, so for awakening in the top right-hand corner, right? Being a good, uh, formed by seedbed, we are sowing for a great awakening as we've taught or learned from seedbed here at this church as well. So I did that at Kingwood for two and a half years, and then when I came here, I changed it, or I felt the Lord tell me to change it. Uh, I wrote So for Awakening the first few weeks, and then in my prayer time, I felt the Lord say, no, you need to change it to something else. And I was like, all right, Lord, what do you want me to change it to? And he said, I want you to change it to expect revival, and write that in the top right-hand corner of your sermons. And I believe, as I've been reflecting on that, the reason why the Lord wanted me to write that is because I think we need to expect God to do something in our midst once more. We need to raise the bar of what we believe God can do among us once more. We need to expect that God still desires to do mighty and wonderful things among us once more. That that is the message to the people of God here in Ezekiel, that he will give them life once more. And we need to hear that message that God is not done with us yet. That God still has wonderful and mighty things in store for us. Do we lean deeper into that expectation through prayer and fasting and leaning into this? Or do we shy away from it and think that our hope is gone and we have been cut off from the Lord? In this passage as well, this is what God does, right? He restores the fortune of his people. What I also love about this passage is that God invites Ezekiel to participate in the great movement of God in this passage. And God invites us to participate in his mighty movement as well. The Lord asks Ezekiel, right, this ridiculous, impossible question, you know, this beautiful, loving, invitational question to Ezekiel. And then look at what happens afterwards in verse 4. And then the Lord said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Skipping down to verse 7. So I prophesied, and as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. And then skipping down to verse 9. Then the Lord said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Skipping down to verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army, and then skipping down again to verse 12. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open up your graves and bring you up out of them. That the Lord tells Ezekiel, you go and prophesy to these bones, and Ezekiel just says the words of the Lord, and then the Lord does a mighty and wonderful thing that the Lord God Almighty, who could have just as easily done it himself, instead invites Ezekiel to participate 
in the, the renewing and the resurrecting of his people here in Ezekiel 37. And the Lord invites each and every single one of us to participate in the mighty movement of God here in this city. That the Lion of Judah is behind us and calls us to go, not to operate from our place of strength, but to operate from a place of trembling and a desire to do the impossible with God. To do it the Lord's way and not our way. I believe the Lord is inviting us to participate as a church in the mighty movement of God of what he wants to do here in Bryan College Station. He invites us to participate with him and then we step back and watch this wonderful mighty work happen right before our eyes that God does the heavy lifting and we just say, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. I mean, what a privilege to participate like this. I want to close with this story from E.M. Bounds. How many of you know E.M. Bounds? He's a Methodist preacher from the time of the Civil War. Uh, he was a pastor in Franklin, Tennessee, which is a small town about 40 minutes outside of Nashville. And uh, he pastored a Methodist church right at the end of the Civil War uh, in 1865, once the Civil War ended there in Franklin, Tennessee. And uh, he was a chaplain in the Confederate Army, and he pastored the men in the Army. And uh, most of his men fought in the Battle of Franklin. And the Battle of Franklin was a heavy defeat for the Confederates, and most of the men that he served and pastored all died in the Battle of Franklin. And he was captured by the Union Army, and he was, uh, he was asked to dig graves for the men who died, and so he dug the graves of the men that he had formerly served. And so after the war, when he was released, he went back to Franklin, Tennessee, as a way to serve the people of that region. I mean, can you imagine being a pastor after the Civil War? War-torn country just the heaviness, and you're not only the pastor after the Civil War, but you're the pastor of a place that there was literally a great battle of the Civil War. I mean, can you just imagine the heaviness that existed in that city? And so Ian Bounds, when he got there, he said that he could feel that spiritual heaviness just sort of sitting over the city. And so he resolved to cry out to God in prayer for it. And so what he did is every, once a week he gathered a few men in the town and they would go to the center of the city square and they would just pray, just cry out to God in prayer for the Lord to move mightily in the city, for God to come and lift the heaviness that had seemed to settle in the small town of Franklin. And so they prayed for months and then after a few months of praying, revival broke out in the city. E.M. Bound said that the heaviness lifted Revival broke out and his church grew exponentially. That the Lord invited E.M. Bounds to participate in what God wanted to do in this town of Franklin, Tennessee. He would later write a number of books on prayer, and I love this quote from him about prayer. E.M. Bounds says this, Prayer is simply faith taking possession of its unlimited inheritance. Prayer is simply faith taking possession of its unlimited inheritance. You know, as I pray for y'all uh, these past few weeks, I, I've just been getting the sense of the Lord is wanting us to do something similar in our midst as well. 
I believe God is extending his hand to us as his church to pray into our inheritance as First Methodist Church. You know, it's interesting is as this revival was going on, this church was meeting in a room above the saloon in town before uh, we were founded as a church, right? And as the revival was winding down in Franklin, Tennessee, this church was born. We were one of the first churches in the city. I believe the Lord is inviting us to reclaim that inheritance of being spiritual watchmen and watchwomen for this city to cry out for God, to groan before the Lord, for Him to rend open the heavens and pour His majesty out, not for our own sake, but for the sake of those who are not yet a part of us. For the Lord to come and meet us here in Bryan College Station. So here's my challenge for us today. I've been feeling the Lord stirring this in my heart for about a month now, and I felt the Lord this week say, now is the time. There's just been this divine weight the Lord has placed in my heart, an unction, as good King James word, right? An unction from the Lord. Uh, I believe that the Lord is inviting us to prophesy to the bones, to cry out for a mighty outpouring, for us to, uh, as a place of one of the largest colleges in the country, to mentor the next generation of Christians, to send them out from this place, to proclaim to those in this community Christ crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected once more for us to cry out in prayer for the Lord to come and do something new in our midst once again. So what I'm going to be doing is uh, every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m., starting August 2nd, I'm going to be leading a prayer meeting in the chapel to cry out for this, to call for God, to participate in what God wants us to do as a church to participate in prophesying to the dry bones. Friends, I want us to be a church that joins in what God is doing in our midst. Because God is not done with this church yet. God is not done with us yet. That I believe what God desires for us to do is to cry out for Him to come and move in mighty and powerful ways like we have not seen before. That is the heartbeat that the Lord has just been putting deep within my soul. Church, do we hear the impossible challenge from God? Son of man, can these bones live? Right? What is that impossible challenge that the Lord has placed on your heart that he dares you to dream and excites the depths of your soul, but the only response you can come up with is, Lord, you're the only one who knows if this will work out or not. Church, hear the call of God on our lives. He is a God who does not abandon us. He is a God who turns dead things to life. And he is a God who makes his splendor and majesty over us. Will we cry out and call for that? Or are we content with dry bones? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening with us. We hope that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.